It's time for Security Now. Steve has all the security updates, Microsoft Blinks, XP updates, perhaps. We'll also uh, talk about the huge kerfuffle on the Internet over certificate revocation, part two of certificate revocation. And Steve addresses some of the criticism uh, he's received for his position. It's coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson, episode 454, recorded May 6th, 2014. Certificate Revocation, Part 2. Security Now is brought to you by Carbonite. Whether you have one computer at home or several at your small business, Carbonite backs up your files to the cloud automatically and continually. Plus, access your files anytime, anywhere with their free app. Start your free trial at Carbonite.com. No credit card required. Use the offer code SECURITYNOW and you'll get two bonus months with purchase. And by ShareFile. Enhance your workflow. Send files of almost any size easily and securely with ShareFile from Citrix. Try ShareFile today for a 30-day free trial. Go to ShareFile.com, click the microphone, and enter security now. And by IT Pro TV. Are you looking to upgrade your IT skills or prepare for certification? IT Pro TV offers engaging and informative tutorials streamed to your Roku, computer, or mobile device. For 30% off the lifetime of your account, go to itpro.tv slash security now and use the code SN30. It's time for Security Now, the show that protects you and your loved ones online, your privacy too, and this is the guy who does it, my Explainer-in-Chief, Mr. Stephen Gibson, who is today we should call you Stephen Tiberius Gibson. He's our commander <laughs> on the on the bridge on the Starship Security Now. So we're going to... Uh, hi, Steve. Hi, hi. I'm trying to find my... And it seems to... Oh, there it is, my stopwatch. So I can start it and kind of keep an eye on what's going on. Hey, yes, today we're going to... We're going to wrap up our conversation about certificate revocation. The, of course, all of our listeners know, uh, anyone who hasn't joined us in the last week, that is, that last week we laid a, a absolutely thorough um, theoretical foundation. That is, you know, the idea being that that certificates create a a system that asserts a way for us to trust what um, what another server is saying, you know, by by using a common entity that we both trust, and so we're trusting that common common entity's assertion about someone we don't know. The problem is that those assertions last two or three years, and so what happens if we need to revoke? That assertion. Of course, that was the foundation we laid. Today, I want to talk about what I've learned during these last three weeks. I am done now and back working on Squirrel to, to, to everyone who's interested in Squirrel's delight. Um, but a hu- I learned a huge amount about the state of the industry, the state of the various browsers and operating platforms, mobile and desktop that we use, uh, there was actually a, uh, I guess, a scuffle, wouldn't put it too strongly. A kerfuffle? Uh, A kerfuffle between me and Google, believe it or not, because one of the things that 
that arose early in this was that Chrome blocked the revoked.grc.com domain that I set up specifically as a test. And they did it by adding a special case to their revocation just for GRC. And that oh, wow. and actually I know. <laughs> aren't you they, aren't you special? Uh -huh. well see the, the the point was that because the point is that Chrome's revocation actually doesn't work. It's broken. And of course Adam Langley who, who decides these things, has been famously telling people, turn it off, don't bother, all it does is slow things down. They're the only browser in the industry that does that. Um, the other ones, Windows, Safari, Firefox, all the other browsers have it enabled um, so that revocations can be detected. But because Chrome's actually doesn't work, they had to make a manual override, essentially, because people were wondering why revoke.grc.com wasn't revoked. And in fact, also, the other one that was on the radar was cloudflarechallenge.com. Remember that the Cloudflare guys put up a challenge to see whether hackers could actually obtain the keys to their server. The hackers did on two different cases, and then they revoked the certificate. Well, again, that would have shown that Chrome wasn't honoring revocation. So, so those two domains um, were added manually in Chrome's own private list. They call it a CRL set. I have a page that, that's up, um, and, you know, Adam's not happy with me, but, you know, sorry. They, they, they kept telling people that, oh, yeah, if a certificate gets revoked, our system picks it up and users are protected, which is complete nonsense. And so I, you know... I had to show the emperor that you know that we really knew that he wasn't wearing any clothes. <laughs> we were going to stop flattering his wardrobe because then you know he would be disinclined he, to purchase. Did it. he respond to you directly at any point? Oh yeah, uh, he did a blog post. I mean, Ars Technica picked this up and did a story on it. Um, they all took the heartbleed angle because one of the things I noted was that none of the hundred and forty thousand certificates that were deliberately revoked due to Heartbleed, are acknowledged by Chrome. So no protection from the, from the known potentially stolen certificates in Chrome. So, uh, yep, there it is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, so I put together over the course of several days a comprehensive analysis where I looked at the number of revocations to Chrome. Chrome, the problem is that... What I think actually, well, we'll get into this in the podcast because that's what I want to talk about is the mobile platforms, the desktop platforms, and what the different browsers do. So today, where last week was theory, today is practice. Um, and I'm going to cover a little bit more than I did last week why this is hard. It turns out that we've got years of evolution. We've got We've got like all kinds of like backward compatibility problems and certificate fields that are overloaded, meaning that they're being asked to do multiple duty. And so building the software to to actually check this is difficult. And and so it's something that we're still working towards as an industry. And then we're actually going to talk about whether it matters, because I think that's worth asking, too. Oh, actually, uh, always the most important question, isn't it? Really? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, we'll, well, boy, this is going to be a good one. Looks like a little controversy going on. 
Oh, you know me, Leo. Not the first. <laughs> Uh, and I missed it all. I don't know why. I guess I wasn't reading the right pages or something. But we'll talk about it in a second if you missed it, too. First, though, a word about backing your system up with Carbonite Online Backup, a longtime sponsor of this show and my radio show, many shows. In fact, I think we've done a good job of spreading the word about Carbonite. Carbonite is the kind of backup uh, I like and I recommend because it's automatic. You don't have to think about it. It's continuous, so that means you don't have to... Uh, you know, worry about, oh, I, I didn't back it up in, in a week, so what am I going to do? Be, be, because it's always backing up whenever you're online. Backing it up to the cloud, too, so it's off-site. Those are all really important things for a good backup. Uh, and, and as Steve would say, you do have the capability of doing trust, no one encryption. You hold the keys, not Carbonite. So if privacy is important, Carbonite works that way, too. That's why it's HIPAA compliant. 300 billion files have been backed up at Carbonite. 300 billion Files have been backed up at Carbonite.com. They've restored something like 20 billion. So that's 20 billion files that would be lost forever if it weren't for Carbonite. 50,000 small businesses trust their files with Carbonite. Perhaps you'd be interested. Well, good. We've got a way to do it. Just go to Carbonite.com. You don't need a credit card. You could try it free for two weeks. See how it works on your system with your wi you know, Wi-Fi or Internet access. They do have uh, very affordable plans for a variety of uses. Your basic plan is $59.99 a year for everything on a single Mac or PC. That's less than 5 bucks a month. But they have plans, pro plans and server plans and all kind of plans. In fact, if you have a unique situation, call them. They're there seven days a week. You can talk to them and say, here's what I'd like to do. And they'll, they'll, they'll put a plan together for you. Carbonite is an amazing business. I love them, and I know you will too. All I ask is you use the offer code SECURITYNOW, one word, when you sign up for that free trial. SECURITYNOW, one word, uh, as the offer code. And then that way, you uh, will give us credit, and you'll get two bonus months free when you buy. you got to back it up to get it back. So do it right. With Carbonite, make sure you use the offer code security. Now, Steve Gibson, Leo Laporte, this is security now. Let's yeah, so we're going to talk about Microsoft patching XP after all. A well-known yeah, vulnerability. Yep, a well-known vulnerability in OpenID and OAuth, which has been breathlessly rediscovered. I think mostly because it was given a cool name, which seems to be important these days. You know, Heartbleed. How much better does it get than that? Uh, but this is not Heartbleed. This is uh, Covert Redirect. It's like, ooh. Uh, ooh. Then uh, a hacker discovered that older iPhones aren't encrypting email attachments. I don't know if Renee talked about this in the previous podcast. It, he did. But, yeah, he did. And I'm yeah, he did also a nice explanation over on iMore. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. government has begun pilot testing their somewhat worrisome universal cyber ID. Of course, the EFF is not happy about this, and uh, we'll talk about that. And, and then, as I said, we'll go into the the practice side of the theory and practice of certificate revocation. So first up is to everyone's, uh, I, don't, I guess it was everyone's surprise because we had been, you know, scared so much by Microsoft telling us that we had to upgrade Microsoft pushed, after the podcast last week, an out-of-cycle update for Internet Explorer to fix this, this zero-day flaw that we talked about. Remember, I blogged about it. I blogged some registry uh, changes uh, that, that could be pulled off. 
Um, and, what, and what I wrote kind of tongue in cheek was uh, that Microsoft rushed an out of cycle update for Internet Explorer and in their haste, apparently forgot to exclude updates for IE version six through eight oh. on Windows XP. Oh, you mean they did it by accident? It's like, oh, no, no, I'm just teasing. It's like, you know, it's like, oh. I'm sure they thought long and hard about this. We forgot to remove that. We told everybody no more of those. Even though we have them, we're not going to give them to them because, you know, we charge for that now. Anyway, what, what they did say was, we have made the decision to issue a security update for Windows XP users. Windows XP is no longer supported by Microsoft. And we continue to encourage customers to migrate to a modern, <laughs> instead of that old antique, to a modern operating system such as Windows 7 or 8.1. Additionally, customers are encouraged to upgrade to the latest version of Internet Explorer, i.e. 11. So anyway, yes, we uh, everybody got updated, even i.e. 6, that crusty old thing. So... Uh, we'll see what happens. You know, as you said, Leo, they blinked and uh, they uh, they did the right thing. Um, in a case like this, the danger was real. It was being exploited, and and it's it's also telling that it was necessary to reboot XP. That is, you know, and certainly you remember that. I don't think we were doing the podcast back in the antitrust days. When Microsoft was saying, oh, no, no, we can't remove IE from Windows. It's part of the operating system. And people are like, what? That's the screwiest thing we've ever heard anyone say. You know, you have your OS and you got your browser. Oh, no, no, we we glued them all together. We can't take it out. This is when, you know, the original Mozilla was arguing, you know, that that oh no, wait a minute, it was anti-competitive for Microsoft to be putting in a, a browser and and creating a, a a disincentive for anyone to use alternate browsers. Apparently, giving them away free and making them good and speedy, as Google has done with Chrome and Firefox has done, ultimately won. Especially when everyone understood that IE was such a security disaster for for so long during its you know during its first half of its life. Um, but anyway, so uh, it is in fact the case that that this involved fixing parts of what you could say was the OS only because Microsoft has maintained this weird entanglement of IE and Explorer such that you just can't, you know, it's like shut down Explorer and fix it and then start it up again with a new version. The way the, you know, the cross-platform browsers like Chrome and and Firefox allow you to. Okay, so I got lots of tweets from people because this made the news. I think CNET may have been the first to report it. And among the security community, we were just sort of rolling our eyes. It's like, oh, what? And this was a, this was a presentation made by a student somewhere um, about his discovery of what he named covert redirect. And, and again, you know, how can you not love that name? Uh, but it created, I mean, an amazing amount of press over the smart. idea. That's how you get attention. Just a good name. Yeah, exactly. That's what you need. Yeah. 
OAuth and OpenID, which we've covered in depth in the podcast, and, I, and I'm not going to go back into it in great detail, mostly because this doesn't warrant it. Um, but anyone who's interested, uh, you can, you know, search grc.com slash SN, and there's a search box. Search for O-A-U-T-H, and you'll find a, a podcast where we de- describe it in detail. I've essentially been every time we talk about it, and you'll remember this, Leo. I said, I say, I, I say oh, you know, just wait. <laughs> this thing, this protocol, this authentication method is just begging to be exploited. And this predates Squirrel, so this is not me being jealous of of OAuth and OpenID. The problem is, you are, you know, this is the the new hip way of logging in where it you go to a site that doesn't know you that where you haven't been and it says you know create an account which of course no one wants to do we call that high friction um or log in with your facebook id log in with your google id log in with your twitter you know whatever log in with an existing relationship you have somewhere else the way that's done is you you say, oh, good. I don't have to create an account here. You click one of those buttons. That button, that button redirects your browser to the to the third party that's going to authenticate you. And and essentially you you that that's where you see things like, you know, this application, and it normally says it, wants the following things wants to know these things about you or do these things. Um, if that's okay, then, and if oftentimes you're already statically logged in over at Google or Facebook or something, so it may just be a matter of approving. Or if you're not currently logged in, you, have, you log in using those credentials of Google or Facebook. Then you say, yes, I approve, and you go bouncing back. Well, this whole idea of bouncing your browser um, um, around between sites is frightening. And, you know, all it takes is you to, for you to go to a site which is sketchy or spoofing a legitimate site that looks like somewhere you would want to log in. And, and you say, yes, log me in using these credentials. Well, that site bounces you somewhere else. Um, and you haven't noticed like it, that, it, that it's the name is spelled wrong or that it's paypal.ru or something rather than .com, which you're expecting. So, you know, it's easy to, to, to mistake that. But it's also the case that you don't see the URL that you're clicking on. You're just clicking on friendly-looking, shadowed, amazing, glowing button, and behind the scenes – is this plumbing. Now, this whole covert redirect business was already described in the original, I mean, the, the, the vulnerability in the IETF's OAuth specification, section 4.2.4 on page 22. So none of this is new. This is just, you know, someone rediscovered it. And rediscovery happens. I, I'm sure he thought this was original. Um, the, the problem is, that not all authenticators like Google or Facebook or Twitter are set up with with limited 
URLs that they will that, that they will redirect their results to. That is, there are these things called open redirectors where they'll just authenticate anybody who comes along. And that's that that's exactly the scenario that I just described, where you've got some spoofed site at you know a non-authentic URL and and or, or you could have a, a valid site, but something managed to poison the page. Because again, you're not seeing the URL you're you're clicking on. So you don't know where you're going. You're just pressing a nicely colored button and it's all happening, you know, behind the scenes. So so what can be done is that valid sites specify exactly the URL that their that they want the redirection the post authentication bounce back to go to it's not necessary to do that when you establish a relationship with a google or a paypal or facebook for open auth authentication but arguably it should be required right now it's a little too loose again you know to make it easy and and therein lies vulnerability so when a when 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 a, a site wants to host OAuth authentication, they should. It's like a firewall. They should explicitly specify that redirection from their application can only go back to this URL. And if that were done, then this whole problem goes away, and it's all spelled out in the spec. So, nothing new to see here. Um, this doesn't, I mean, it's, it's good to remind people of this because this is still a problem. Again, it's, 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 it's very difficult to bounce users around between domains and not have, not have bad things happen. Uh, I still expect that we're going to end up seeing a major exploit of this at one point, you know, as, after it becomes really popular so that, it, so that it can do more damage, but it, it is absolutely possible for the the origin site to prevent them their site from being abused by specifying to the people that they're using to authenticate their visitors exactly what the url is or technically uri uh that is that is used to come back to them and if that's done then you you can't be taken anywhere else no you know you can't be bounced through yet another server that's able to obtain your credentials see that's what can happen they can end up with access to your google account and access to the account that you were authenticating to so it's a it's a form of man in the middle attack on oauth and you know it's it's not good um what renee talked about i'm sure uh on mac break weekly was something that caught a lot of people's attention after we had done our triple header podcast on how amazingly secure <laughs> iOS and the iPhones are. And uh, it was a, a, a hacker, Andreas Kurtz, who wrote on April 23rd, he said, what Apple missed to fix in iOS 7.1.1. Um, his point being that they knew about it in 7.1, he had informed them, and they sounded like they sort of didn't take him very seriously. It's like, ah, yeah, well, okay, you know. But when they didn't fix it in point one, point one, right. he decided, okay, I'm going to make them a little more noise, and that that you know got their attention. Um, so what Andreas wrote was, a few weeks ago, 
I noticed that email attachments within the iOS 7 mobile mail app were not protected by Apple's data protection mechanisms. Clearly, this is contrary to Apple's claims that data protection, quote, provides an additional layer of protection for email messages attachments. Andreas wrote, I verified this issue by restoring an iPhone 4, and that's first key, and he says in Prince GSM device, meaning he did not do it on a more recent phone where it doesn't work. Uh, to the most recent iOS versions, 7.1 and then 7.1.1, and setting up an IMAP email account, which provided me with some test emails and attachments. Afterwards, I shut down the device, meaning the phone, and accessed the file system using well-known techniques, DFU mode, custom RAM, RAM disk, SSH over USB MUX, and so forth. He says, finally, I mounted the iOS data partition and navigated to the actual email folder. Within this folder, I found all attachments accessible without any encryption or restriction. Now, this appears to be true. Um, uh, and I do think it's something that Apple missed. We'll talk about why in a second. Uh, Rene Ritchie asked Apple about it and was told now... We're aware of the issue and are working on a fix which will deliver in a future software update. So maybe 0.1.2, who knows? Um, so Rene explained this clear, carefully uh, on his column at imore.com. And so, first of all, it's iPhones after iPhone 4 meaning the 4S, the 5, the 5S, 5C, etc., that is, those having at least the Apple A5 chip are not vulnerable. It's only with the previous, the A4 and earlier chips. Um, my guess, and, and, you know, you'd have to, like, you'd have to look at exactly how this happened, but it sounds like probably an honest mistake where... They were moving, you know, now, now they have split security architectures. They've got, or, or multiple, actually, security architectures. They've got, you know, a, they have the, the very latest A6 architecture with the, the secure enclave. They've got the A5 architecture. And then they've got the, the earlier architectures. Clearly, they want to secure them all. But as they've evolved this, things like where the encryption occurs has changed. It's gone from a software, a fast software encryption into now a, a like an inline, always present hardware encryption. And so I could easily see where, where some, you know, conditional compile sort of thing where it's like, okay, if on, on this, we follow this path and on this version, we follow this path. And if we're doing this, we follow that path. That just, you know, could have been a, a greater than symbol that should have been a greater than equals, that kind of thing. Just a, a tiny little mistake due to the fragmentation now that we're seeing over the evolution of the iOS security architecture. So my guess is it's something like that, where, where it probably used to encrypt on the iPhone 4 the way they intended. That's, you know, when that's all they were doing. But then... 
later on, someone just made a tiny mistake as they were intending to continue supporting the old devices, but had all this fancy, glittery new technology for the new ones. And, you know, the wrong code got assembled and the software encryption for the older phones, you know, didn't, you know, survive some conditional branch, you know, in in, in the compiler somewhere would, would be my guess. Happen. Yeah, it's just, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I'm glad he found it. This, I mean, you know, and as Ray, Renee points out, he 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 quotes our podcasts on this topic, um, in there where I referred to it as an you know an amazing little encrypto brick. I mean, like it's just an incredible little <laughs> encryption engine, um, and says, but it we you know we need people keeping an eye on this to keep it that way because you know that's what we want. Now. An, an unpronounceable acronym. Maybe it's NISTIC. I like it. NISTIC. N-S-T-I-C. I, we, I've referred to it many times because it's been on my radar. Everyone knows I'm an authentication fanatic um, because I really think that proving our identity on the net is the thing. I mean, that's what we need as we increasingly depend upon so-called cyberspace. So NISTIC, N-S-T-I-C, is the national strategy for trusted identities in cyberspace. And I remember as, as, as soon as Tina came over to the States, you know, she moved Yubico over to Silicon Valley so that she'd be in the middle of things. Um, I made sure she knew about this in case she had any interest in being involved in it because I thought any involvement that they could have would be good. So this is our government's effort, not private industry, not FIDO, not Google with their uh, uh, multi-factor. You know, this is an yet again an entirely separate project. I'm on the mailing list. I get you know, rah-rah email every couple of months about nothing having happened again. Because, <laughs> I mean, this, I think this is now we're in year three. Um, and, and of course, this makes everyone nervous. Um, uh, I, I, in my own notes, I, I, I wrote it down as in the what could possibly be wrong with this idea, the U.S. government's own national internet ID experiment begins thus the news um the new york times picked up on it and they they used the analogy of an internet driver's license i I think because a driver's license is a civic identity i mean it's a government issued id um and uh and tech dirt among others picked up on it and their headline was u.s government begins rollout of its driver's license for the internet um, and their subhead was from the seizing the wrong moment department. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, he, and, and, and they, they just wrote at the very beginning, they said, an idea the government has been kicking around since 2011 is finally making its debut. Calling this move ill-timed would be the most gracious way of putting it. And of course, this is all post NSA and Snowden. And now they're saying, oh, we're going to come out with a governmental issued cyber ID. Um, so, okay, Michigan and Pennsylvania are the two states where a pilot study next month will be started. And it's just 
intergovernmental agency. So I don't even know if a private citizen can get one, but it's just so it's probably for employees in unnamed agencies in those two states to be burdened with one more thing they've got to worry about. Um, just sort of to have it go, have it, you know, we know how healthcare.gov came out. So maybe they're going to work on rolling this one out a little more gently this time or, or keep it to themselves for a while. Um, I guess I'm of two minds about this. There are things that, that arguably could be valuable Theoretically, I mean, let, let me just couch this and make I want to be very clear that people don't think I've completely lost my mind. But, you know, filing your taxes um, electronically or voting, if there were a way to do that. Of course, I guess all of these things are subject to, you know, horrific, you know, cyber tampering, thus the concern. But, but, there are certainly instances where we want anonymity, and this is the reverse of that. This is apparently provable identity, but I would argue as the Internet becomes the thing that there are there's some scope of need where we, we absolutely want to be able to assert deliberately and with intention – and in a way that is secure, this is actually me. Yeah, I mean, to, well, any financial transaction, right? I mean, well, well, see, there we would be doing it to our bank. This is to the, to the government. government. Uh, let me think yes. of what. You know, you can't do it for voting. Uh, there, although there has been a move to do that to have, you know, prove you are who you say you are. But that. Well, now we're we're talking in the future. So right. imagine the future. Where, well, I hope they I don't mean, do vote. it for voting, but uh, I guess if you want to do online voting, you would have to authenticate, right? Yeah, I mean, I think probably healthcare and voting and maybe taxes. I mean, things that are you know civic, federal, probably there may be some way of going to the post office and sure and and an prove it, you know yeah. yeah give them a birth certificate and an ID or whatever and say I want my government issued. Cyber ID. I don't know how it works yet. Um, you know, I mean, I haven't even, it's the last thing I'm going to worry about because, well, you know, if it ever begins to actually happen, we'll definitely cover the technology. I hope, hope they haven't messed it up. And I think in this day and age, it is just, it's just in the last few years this has happened. So they must know how to do this right. Uh, <laughs> Facebook used to have they for some people they would ask for a government ID. You send like a like a newspaper and a picture of yourself holding the newspaper or something to to prove you are who you. Are. There are cases where uh, I guess you could use a government ID for something like that. But you, and that's my that's exactly my point is yeah. I can see where you know you you've got one. You've got a driver's license. That's a government ID. I don't. Yeah, just hold it up and wave hold it in front of the camera. Okay, I'll try, to, I'll try to hold it still. Okay, how's that? And, but we know, I mean, I'm, there have been attempts for voter ID uh, in, in many states, and it's uh. widely considered uh, a bad idea because uh, disenfranchises poorer voters. So um, I don't know. Right. Where, and even the machines, they can't even make a machine oh, that's right. that, work, that that's works. That's right. You know, it's like, oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a bad idea. I mean, it's very worrisome, 
but I just thought, you know, since it's 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 coming up in the news, it's this thing's beginning to raise its head. I've I've, I've referred to it many times in the past because, as I said, I get you know random email from them saying, "Oh, we're having a big conference." Yeah. It's like oh, okay, mystic, good. mystic. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, there's been every once in a while somebody floats the idea of a national ID program, and it usually gets. Well, this is. I mean, this is. It would effectively be, wouldn't it? This is. This is moving forward. So, I mean, the. I mean, it may get squashed. The EFF just. I mean, if they had their way, this thing would just. They'd be under their heel, being ground into nothing right now. So, uh, well, if they're again it, I'm again it. Yeah, they they generally have their. The, the right perspective. I had promised our listeners some graphs of of the <laughs> show length over time, but the the URL I was given last week when I thought I had for, well, just, I just wasn't time to get it into the notes still doesn't work. So um, I think it's a listener of ours who has been doing this. So uh, I well, love this, this, uh, the security now stats thing. What is this? Oh, it didn't come up for me. Oh, there it's it is. working. I just pulled it up. Oh. Cool. There it is. It's up. Yeah. Did you do this, Cyphase? Cyphase, maybe you did. Yep. I don't know. Yep, Cyphase did it. All right. So he says it's up now. Ah, cool. I tried yeah. it an hour ago, and uh, I, so, it wasn't. So uh, the, the, the green line is the four-episode rolling mean. The red line is a 12-episode rolling mean. They're pretty correlated. And now, the length was of the one. show has been going up. It went. Its biggest growth was in the first 200 episodes. Then it's stabilized for a little longer, and then from 350 and on, it's been going up again. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> well, with, I, I don't know. I mean, it can't go any higher. You know, we've reached our limit, Leo. Well, I don't he, think, I think now it we're going to have 10 minutes. That's almost, uh, we're almost two hours now. I think it's going to flatline now. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty fun. Thank you, Although Cyphase. He, he, it, w- w- was there a second one or only yeah, that? Yeah, oh, feedback and not feedback. Hey, so That's the one that I thought was really interesting, too. That that's the remember that the Q and A's for a while were running a lot longer because yeah, we had asked than, questions. Yeah, yeah, because we had all the news. Then we said, "Oh crap, we've got ten questions. We got to get to now." So, so you know, they not because the Q and A has gotten shorter, but for some reason, the non Q and A's are getting longer. <laughs> they're growing. Fa- let's put it this way: they're growing faster than the. So, Q&A's for anyone who hasn't seen the show notes, it's c y p h a s e dot com. Slash security now stats. And there's his Bitcoin QR code if you'd like to thank him. Ah, very nice. Send him a thousandth of a Bitcoin. So that's the good news. The bad news is that Almost Human has been canceled. Yeah, I saw that. They didn't even finish one season. That's all they got. They, yeah, I guess they got more. I guess they get. I guess they got more episodes than Firefly did. Yeah. Uh, But all they are, of course, famously canceled. Joss Wheaton's fabulous, you know, sci-fi space western, uh, and this one died. I really liked it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't to die for, but it must have been expensive. I think what they look at is that they, and apparently, just didn't get the numbers. So there was just a small following of people who really enjoyed it, but not a large enough following. Yeah. But I am. I see you're looking to halt and catch fire as. Oh, and you. Yes. I don't know if you saw the promo this week. During Mad Men, where they quoted Steve Wozniak. <laughs> yes, I did see it. I did see it. Steve, something so, like Steve says, I don't usually like this kind of thing, but I like this. <laughs> so I've got something in my eye. Excuse me, I'm blinking a little bit. Um, this is okay. This is a show that's going to be on uh, AMC starting uh, yes. in June. Yes, I wanted to give all of our listeners a heads up 
This I believe this is the story of the creation of the IBM PC, which was it takes a place pure... in Texas, though. That's what confused me. Yeah, well, see, they may PC have changed was in the Boca, names. right? Yeah, the famously Boca Raton, Florida. So, but I, but I don't know what else this could be. First of all, I thought all maybe the... Texas Instruments. It may also be completely made out of whole cloth. It may not be related to history. You think yeah, it's real? Would... I don't know. Anyway, whatever it is, <laughs> we have no idea. And apparently, what, what hot, halt and catch fire is a is a machine code. Oh my gosh, we've lost Steve. He's going down, folks. Do you want to take, take a break? My, I, had, I don't know. I had to take my contact lens out. Oh, Actually, right. now would be a good idea to do a. a I'll do uh, an ad. Why? Why? What am I thinking? I've got sponsorships. You go fix your eye. This. Sh- <laughs> our show today brought to you by our wonderful friends at ShareFile from Citrix. I use it, as you know, for um, uh, all the files I have to share with the radio stations down the line. I used another service, you know, a kind of well-known commercial file sharing service, and it just it confused the heck out of the people I was sending the files to. They would delete them. They, would, they just didn't understand how it worked. Never have a problem with ShareFile. So ShareFile has desktop sync, so you can automatically, uh, you know, I copy all the files when I record the audio. I copy the files to a folder. It's automatically synchronized up to the ShareFile cloud. Just like, you know, like you'd expect. Um, but it's more than that. The idea is ShareFile is going to eliminate the need to attach files to emails. A thing that I think you and I and everybody listening can get right behind. It's a waste of bandwidth. These files are often too big. Anyway, you're going to get bounced back. And, of course, it's completely insecure. In fact, email attachments are a notorious way to attack systems. Spear phishing should not be sharing files in business. And yet you do need to share files in business. I understand that. Along comes Citrix with a great solution. When you're sending along contracts or spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations and the like, instead of attaching them, send a secure link with ShareFile. There's other reasons to do this. Not only is it secure, but it also allows you to protect the file. You can say only you can see it. You could say you can only get this for a certain period of time or download a certain number of times. You'll get email alerts when the files are opened and reviewed. Uh, it just keeps everyone on the same page. With shared folders, it sync automatically. I even have it set up so that people I send files to every week, autom- I don't have to even send them an email. They just get a notification. Leo's put a new file in the share file. Uh, I, I love ShareFile. I want you to sign it up for 30 days free right now. If you send files, if you send attachments, this is the way to do it. ShareFile.com. Use security now as the offer code. You do have to click the... I miss a little weird at the top of the page. There's a you know something like podcast listeners. Click here. Click that. Uh, and uh, enter security now. One word is the offer code. You'll get 30 days free. And I, I'm telling you, this is a much easier way to do it and much more secure. ShareFile.com. Use the offer code security now. I'm looking at Steve, and it looks as if he has recovered his sight. <laughs> Are you okay? Yeah, I still wear I still wear hard contact lenses. What? Uh, since that's what I started with. Yes, and me I'm too. But I don't. With them. You know what, Steve? Please do me a favor. Go to your optical professional, your optometrist. Say you want daily wear. Because what you do no. is you throw them out at the end of the day every day. Tried it, tried those. You didn't like yeah, them? I don't. No. Because your no, vision was it as acute? Uh, yeah, they don't actually provide as good a correction no, that's true. as Hard the lenses are better. As the yeah, my these are gas permeable contacts. I've been wearing them since I was in like a junior. Yeah, and it's funny too because I remember my best friend in high school, Scott Wilson. When I, when I, I mom and my mom and sister were urging me to get them because I had you know the traditional big thick 
I mean, my eyes are very nearsighted. And and I said, so what, what, what do you think about the idea, Scott? He says, oh, absolutely. <laughs> Just no hesitation at all. That's what, you know, what your best friend is for. It's like, oh, get those, get rid of those glasses, Gibson. <laughs> anyway, so. Oh, well. All uh, right. Okay. Been wearing, them, been wearing them ever since. Suffer all you want. I'm not going to stop it. Well, okay. You're right, though. Acuity goes down. You're right. Acuity goes down. I agree. 454 episodes, and I've never had a contact lens emergency one? in the middle of a podcast. So First one. I've had many. Okay, so. So we don't know anything about the upcoming AMC series beginning on Sunday, June 1st, called Halt and Catch Fire. Now, uh, Halt is, a, is a, a long time, everybody knows, assembly language command. Just Halt. Yes. Halt the processor. It's essentially, um, uh, um, old, or like original machines, it, it essentially, the Halt instruction is a jump to yourself. So... So what it does is it just causes the system to stop executing instructions. Right. And I did some research. I was sure that the phrase had more meaning than I was able to track down on the net now. Um, of course, you know, this predates the net, so and so, so do we. So maybe I'm remembering correctly, but I really thought I remembered something where in the early days of the development of the PC, there wa actually was something that caused a serious problem. Like you could you could do a, a series of instructions that would cause it to halt and overheat, and in some really? cases it started to smoke or something. So <laughs> it sounds more like it. a programmer joke than an actual instruction. Well, and see, that's all that has survived today. HCF, it's supposed to be, right. a, you know, a, a, a made-up instruction, halt and catch fire. But, you know, it's like, okay. I, I I really do think I'm remembering something, but I couldn't find it. So, anyway, it looked a little maybe overdramatic. It may be more drama than, than techie, but who knows. Uh, I am enjoying Silicon Valley, by the way. It's, Me too. Uh, Holy cow, half hour. Of, and the more, the more an insider you are, I think the funnier it is because you realize, you know, these really are the personalities being depicted of the Looney Tunes, you know, in the valley and, and many of the crazy things like just over the top money being spent on parties to describe like some API function. It's like, what? You know, just would have no meaning to anybody else except, you know, a really small group. Uh, but well, like the TechCrunch, like this week they... They get accepted to TechCrunch Disrupt, the startup uh, uh, tournament. And I think, right. I mean, it's re we all know about it. In fact, right. uh, Alexia Tsotsis, who works at TechCrunch, tweeted, uh, I think Mike Judge should be a judge at the next TechCrunch Disrupt. <laughs> and they, they have been renewed for a second season and already. It, and rightly so. so. Now, here's a sad note. To me, one of the best characters, and this week he was very good, is the Peter Gregory guy. The guy who, uh, he's, he's, a, he's kind of an amalgam of angel, angel capitalist, but I think he's mainly uh -huh. based on Peter Thiel. It's his last episode. The, the actor passed away. No! He was young! He was 48, and he uh, he had lung cancer when he auditioned for the role, oh. and it took a turn for the worse, and I believe he only made five episodes, and I think we've seen uh, the last of him. And he, you know what? He's wonder... brilliant in the show. Oh, he did. He did. Just a... Borderline... Under, you know. Understated. <laughs> yes. Like A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. Yeah, he's kind yeah. of on the spectrum, as they say in the show. Yeah. And he's yeah. wonder... And he really had a turn, a star turn in this most recent episode. Um, yeah, kind of sad. 
Wow. Well, I guess it'll be interesting to see how the writers work him out. He's I mean, fairly critical have... to, this, to the story. Yeah, he, he's been and he's been in the center of it. So, I'd rather see him than almost anybody else. I like Big yeah. Head. I like the Hooli guy. <laughs> There's a scene this week where they're attempting to use Skype. Uh, like objects and everything fails. He's in Jackson's Hole, Wyoming, and nothing's yep, working. He's got that 3D projector, he's got no, a I mean, holographic for, projector. For, for those of us who are doing video it's, podcasts, we know, you know this. It's like, it's, oh, Gina, Gina's frozen again. Wait a minute. Well, she'll 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 reboot and come back. And I'm sorry, Leo, I can't hear you. Would you say that? Oh, it's like oh, you've so been there. Yeah. Anyway, so for insiders, if if you're not watching it, it's an it's HBO fun. half hour yeah. every Sunday evening, and uh, immediately after Game of Thrones, and I guess it's before Vice. I think Vice follows it up. Veep follows mean. Veep. Veep. Sorry, Veep. Yeah, yeah, which is another great show. Yeah, and that's my and Sunday night season. is completely consumed by Mad Men, Game of Thrones, Veep, and Silicon Valley. Oh, oh and now and John go- Oliver's got a show. Oh, it's awful. Oh, yeah, it's a complete rip. You know, I love so John bad. Oliver deeply, and he was on The Daily Show, and he's basically ripped off The Daily Show, and I don't understand why they could. And not, and not, not well, well, Leo. Yeah. I've, I've, I haven't made it through. I've only made about 10 minutes into <sighs> either of them, and I thought I removed it from my season pass last week, but it came in again, and I thought, what? So I thought, okay, I'll give it a second shot, and it's just... Again, like maybe five minutes, it's like, oh my god, this yeah, is bad. It's too so because I love John yeah. Oliver, he's very talented. Oh, and he, and I, I agree with you. He was great when he had good writers over with The Daily Show. But you but have afraid- to admit that his it, the first episode where he interviews the former director of the NSA, General Alexander. Did you see that one? The first episode. No, I deleted it. I didn't get. Oh, that you want to see that? Uh, he's well, he's sitting across okay. from the former head of the NSA, and he's giving him a really hard time. And the, and he oh, I can't remember what the punchline is. It's it's that ta- John Oliver's famous for these like in your face, very in, nice. Well, I've I've interviews. never understood in those interviews if the other person realizes that they're being made fun of. Alexander not. realizes like, it eventually, and he's kind of <laughs> smiling and laughing along. It's quite good, quite good. Anyway, uh, okay. So also, this is in errata. I've been meaning for weeks to mention that after you and I talked about the electronic funds transfer concern and about setting up accounts so that that as i have so that they're firewalled and and you you cannot electronically transfer funds and you you were saying wait a minute that that can't be right well we were both right because it turns out that the rules and regulations for business are different from personal there is personal protection there is no business protection ah that's a relief Yes. Okay. So if you, you, you know, and this is, this is kind of how the banking industry handles lack of security across the board. Don't worry. We'll pay for it if you lose anything. Right. We, 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 we don't want you coming in. We don't want to have any contact with you. Right. We want our computer to do right. this. So in return for the privilege of never having to see you, if anything goes wrong, we'll cover you. Here's uh, John Oliver and General uh, Keith Alexander. For me to leave that for somebody else to do. I'm going to Do you think it. that the NSA is suffering from a perception problem with the American people at the moment, bearing in mind that the answer to that is yes? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, the first assumption is that you're collecting on the American people. And therein lies... So he attempts to do the, the, tr- the, the PR he's spin. He's trying to do it straight. The target is yeah. the American people. No, the target is not the American people, but it seems that too often you miss the target 
and you hit the American person standing next to it going, whoa, whoa, him. But you see, we're not just out there gathering U.S. communications, listening to it. It's actually really worth seeing. It's on YouTube if you want to see it. That sounds great. And it is, you know, I mean, it's the director, the former director of the NSA. Yeah. Keith Alexander. Yeah, I deleted it too soon. That that one thing, watch that. The good thing is I can undelete, so I'll okay. I will undelete it and go find it. Do you have a that, TiVo? It, it, what do you it's, have? It's, yeah, I, I dropped my my Windows media boxes and went back to TiVo, and I am so happy. Um, I, Me too. I, I went I went to the Romeo, mm-hmm. and so I and and it's funny because I convinced my my uh, best friend to do it, and he was in Seattle, and I said, you know, Mark, you can watch your shows on your iPad. He says, what? No. And like I got a text from him a few minutes later. Oh my God, it works! <laughs> it's got sling, and, bu- and, slingbox style capability. Yep, uh, and you're uh, able around to the house and a, Yeah, love it. Yeah, it, it's it's the right and and then the little minis. In fact, I've got one right and sitting next to me. So you're able to do extensions. Yeah, I I went. I tried the media box, gave it a shot for a year, and when I saw that they were they were getting ready to discontinue their hardware, I thought, no, 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 I want their hardware, and so. Uh, and I also verified that when it dies, you put a blank drive in, and it sees that it's blank, and it completely oh, sets good. it up and formats it and preps it for it you. Blesses it. And, oh, that's and it also has it also has an external um, uh, e something. I can't remember. <laughs> ESATA. ESATA. Thank you. Yes, yeah. an ESATA connector, so you can you yeah. can expand. You can the, add more drives. Ex- but the one I got, the Pro, has four hundred fifty uh, uh, hours of recording. I mean, it's like three yeah, we, terabytes. We, it's plenty. You know, we, you know that we got the same one. So yeah. yes, I have. No, I I, I also I also switched over to the to the Bluetooth uh, remotes because I want to use the keyboard, and it's nice not having to aim it. The, oh, the, the nice. normal remote is is RF. Right. This is actually it's actually Bluetooth, ah. and and the fact that no matter what, no matter where you are, you just hit the sh- the search button and it instantly jumps you to that. So I'm then you order type that in remote, few, type in a few characters. Yeah. yeah, you just go to the TiVo.com and you choose what, whether it's for the the Premier or or the Ro- the Romeo Pro or the Mini because they have they have two different ones. Yeah, because the, the Mini doesn't have Bluetooth built in. And we should mention it's a very expensive solution because you have to buy the not only the hardware but you have to buy either a monthly subscription or as I imagine you did the lifetime subscription which is yep. several hundred I know that bucks I'm, and- I'm Yep, I know that, yeah, it, it is it is pricey but it's, you know, boy, it's you nice. and it. you can un- you can undelete shows because I didn't know used- that because <laughs> I'm yes. deleting the the TiVo suggestions and it records a lot because it can oh. do up to f- six channels at the same time so it's recording yep. a ton of crap and, and I mean crap finally I had to delete the Spanish language stations from my channel lineup because yep. it kept recording Spanish shows so I just said well I'm not yep. going to ever watch those so I'm taking Univision out of my lineup um, yep. but uh, I you do have and I should we should say since we're talking about this you have to have Already your, in it. your supporter has to your cable company has to support cable card. You need an M card, a multi-stream card. Yep. Uh, and then you can record six things at once. But if uh, so, if Verizon FiOS works, uh, some cable companies do check, of course, with your provider. And in some cases, our my case, and I presume your case, we also get uh, on demand. I get Xfinity on demand through it, which is really nice because then then I can watch everything I want to watch. And yeah, you don't get the stupid have, we... e entertainment reporters screaming at you the whole time you're trying to navigate. <laughs> Through the on-demand menu, right, right. Yeah. I did turn off all of those TiVo, the uh, TiVo, you know, guessing what you want nonsense because it shows you a nice little percentage bar of how much space you've used, um, and you know, and when things accumulate, I'll you know flush them. Anyway, I'm, really I'm afraid happy it's just going to churn the drive to hell. I mean, I, I, there's plenty of space, but 
I just don't want it to churn everything and wear yeah. out the drive fast. Good. Yeah. Well, there we go. We got an unpro- unprompted <laughs> review of the TiVo in there. Yeah. So, Squirrel, I'm back on Squirrel, working on it full time. So, I just wanted to let everybody know that will be moving forward, and I'll be I'm back to uh, I'll provide a, a weekly touch base. I expect hey. it's going to go very quickly now, since that whole the whole multilingual UI system is is worked out. I've got the the entropy harvesting in my head, um, and I've conceptually got it. Well, in two weeks, we're going to talk about the challenge of harvesting entropy which many people have been asking That's hey whatever subject. happened to that yeah. topic yeah love to do uh, that because it's it's really so much more difficult to do it not only i mean you know people who don't care at all they just call their random function what yeah. in whatever language they're using which is notoriously awful um probably we're past that but for my application i need both high quality randomness and um, intervention-proof randomness. I need uh, I need attack-resistant entropy. So that means you just can't ask the operating system for it because that interface to the OS could be infected, and someone could like be returning zeros in order to affect your your entropy harvesting. So anyway, in two weeks we're going to talk about you know really really robust entropy harvesting. I think a really interesting topic, and I will. Have I'll be past it by then, but all all tuned up on it. And Doctor Mom says uh, you want to harvest entropy, get a cat. <laughs> did we? Did you want to show this picture ever? Well, yeah, put it up. I, it's it's actually an amazingly I thought it's the best instance of photoshopping I've seen in like a long time. Well, it makes us look pretty dang good. <laughs> so who did this? I don't know. I don't know. It's just someone who tweeted it to me this morning, and I thought, "Wow, you know, I mean, the 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 lighting is a little, it's a little." A oh little come spotty. on! Now you're being picky. This is perfect. It really is. A it great, is uh, Steve is Jean Luc Picard, and I am his number one commander, Riker. They've imposed yeah. our superimposed our heads, obviously, uh, but it looks like we're in the same room. It looks. I mean, this is quite yep. well done. I think. We got an out of focus wharf in the background, yeah, and uh, like yeah, it. it's it really is Steve good. Stephen Leo, so, the next generation. I think I'll stick it up on the Security Now page <laughs> just for a while at least, because people will get a kick I out think of it. It's going to be my new profile page. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where he got the raw material. I don't think we've ever looked that good. I know. I so don't. Like, I, these are amazing photos of us. <laughs> yeah, very nicely done. So thank you, thank you. Um, okay, speaking of thank you, Kyle Lyons. He's continuing a theme that I'm, I am I just want to cover for a minute. He said, Spinrite brings a MacBook Pro back up to speed. And you'll notice that last couple of weeks, just for whatever reason, people have ha- been having have been noticing that Spinrite's been improving the speed of their machines. So what Kyle wrote was, add me to the now typical MacBook success story. The system was taking... 10 to 15 minutes to boot. And that's definitely long, slow. There's something wrong the SSD there. SSD shouldn't take that long. And just as long to launch programs. The drive was re-imaged to no avail. We hooked up the MacBook's drive to a Windows machine using an IDE SATA to USB 2.0 adapter, mounted the drive to a VMware player DOS virtual machine, and ran Spinrite on it. 
Four hours later, the drive and the MacBook are running like new. Thanks, Steve. So, wow. In the Yeah, and here's what's going on. I mean, this is really you don't want to wait if this is what's happening. In the early days of hard drives, error correction took longer than just rereading. That is that they you know they we didn't have high speed on the fly error correction. So the the drive would try to read a sector and in, if it came back with a bad CRC cyclic redundancy check, it even though it had error correction information, it would take longer for the LSI chip on the drive to process it than it would for the sector to come around again. So the drive would try a few retries, that's the term retry. It would, it would just hopefully, you know, it would just read it a few more times, hoping to get one that did not have, did not need correction. If that failed, then it would say, okay, fine. And it would, you know, crunch the whole 4,096 bits of data plus the error correction stuff through the error correction algorithm to produce what's called the syndrome, which is an XOR mask, which is then placed appropriately, and that flips the bits that were wrong, making them right, thus correcting the data. Now move forward to present day. Now we've got, of course, crazy speed in the drive electronics, such that error correction is is no longer a last resort. It's used some would feel distressingly with a distressing frequency so that, you know, errors are just now commonplace. In fact, the densities have gotten so high that drives are correcting errors more often than not. When the, but the, the, this syndrome I mentioned is, is a span of bits. So it, think of it, it's a bit mask of bits that need to be flipped. But the, the power of the ECC is the number of bits long that this syndrome is. And in old days, it used to be 11. 11, you, you, you could, that was the spec on the controllers before they got moved into the drives, was that the point was that for reasons of math, the, you could correct any 11 bits, a burst, a burst error of up to 11 wrong bits, but 12 and you couldn't correct it. Um, now they're much fancier because they're like doing interleaved ECC where you can do multiple bursts in a, in, in a block and all kinds of craziness. And of course, these big 4K sectors where they've really changed the math because the larger the area you're correcting, the more efficient the error correction is in terms of the o- amount of overhead needed um, for that block of data. So the logic is turned around so that error correction is being done all the time. It's on the fly. It slows nothing down. That means if something is slowed down, it's because that is no longer correctable. It, you are depending upon trying again. And essentially, you've got if, – if it's taking, for example, 10 to 15 minutes to boot – the system is being very patient because it has no choice and it's trying to read many, 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 many hundreds of megs 
but a whole bunch of sectors are causing problems. They are beyond the on-the-fly correction. They're into the, oh, my goodness, let's hope we can get it if we ask again. Now, of course, Spinrite famously has essentially, you know, that's its bread and butter. That's its soul. It's able to diagnose the drive, work with the drive in that condition. And when even when the drive can't finally recover, Spinrite has ways of like getting that one last bit and making it work. So, so, so my point is that if anyone is noticing this happening, um, this is a reason to run Spinrite. What Kyle did not only sped up his drive, but it took all of those sectors and apparently many if it was taking this long, if he was actually, if it's enough to, so you can feel a slowdown, you, then you're on the edge. And then there are many sectors on the edge. And so Spinrite pulled them all back. And now the drive is having no trouble booting. It boots up just like new because Spinrite removed, worked with the drive to remove all of those flaky sectors that were like on the verge of no longer being flaky. They were being unrecoverable. So... Anyway, that's that's a perfect use case for Spinrite in, as as we say, in a preventative maintenance mode. If you ran it quarterly, it would have never gotten that bad. Uh, it's a good thing that Kyle ran it in time. How do you run it on a Mac? You have to uh, take the drive out? Yeah, there are a couple of things you can do. You can take the drive out um, if you're able to. Uh, you can also... You can also Boot it if you can boot an external drive, and the Mac allows you to do that. Then you can run, you can run DOS, or you can run, ah. um, uh, you can run. Now he, he ran VMware, but most people use uh, virtual. What is virtual, it? virtual box. box. It's the free one. Vir- yeah, virtual box. Yes, it were. Well, for this, box, you don't need more than that. I mean, that's exactly. And and then and and because you booted. An external drive, you now have offline access to the internal drive. And so so VirtualBox and Spinrite can reach back into your Mac and work on that drive natively. And of course, when I get back, when once Squirrel's behind us and we've got a we have Squirrel running, then I'm running right back to Spinrite 6.1, and uh, one of the big features of it will be native operation on the Mac. In the meantime, it, it's you know there is there it, it, if you if you Google Spinrite Mac, you'll find people who've done how tos and things There's on the a whole, net. A whole wiki uh, entry uh, for it. Yeah. Wikipedia, uh, the Spinrite uh, entry has a Spinrite on a Mac. Give you all the Neat. details. Yeah. So do you want to let me let's do a break and then we'll uh, because I think we're going to get to a revocation part two and I will play the role of uh, our Google friend Adam what's his name (laughs) and uh, and I will I will try to do my best to argue his case. Good luck. (laughs) Well, he makes some points. Adam Langley. He makes some points and 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 I'll pose them to you. Yes, and I I actually don't disagree with his points. Uh, we 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 only disagree in sort of bias and flavor and style. Oh, okay. But, well, that's but a minor not in fact. thing. Yeah, but yeah, it's really not a dis- disagreement. In fact, yeah. I was my complaint is they were overselling what they had. Basically, yeah. so Adam their said, argument why they don't do the full list is 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 accurate. It's just that they were saying they were. 
were trying to say their their system was is good enough. They were saying, don't look behind the curtain. Yeah. Uh, there we'll there may be a man back there. There may not be, but doesn't look doesn't the wizard look good? <laughs> all right, look at all that steam. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about it in just a second. But first, a word from our good friends Tim and Don and the gang at IT Pro TV. If you want to become an IT professional, if you want to talk the talk like Steve talks the talk, uh, if you want to have the certs to get you the jobs, if you want to polish up your skills so you can get a promotion. If you just want to get into this stuff, then you should go to itpro.tv and find out what itpro.tv has to offer. This is, they, they say, an easy, entertaining approach to online IT training. I like the old slogan, learn without even knowing IT. Get it? Uh, it's actually really clever. They have, they have created a very entertaining, affordable way to get training in IT, to get the search you want they, uh, they're on the air live, as we are, uh, 20 to 30 hours a week. So you can watch them live. You can interact with them in a chat room. In fact, if you look at their, uh, their sets there, they really look kind of like the screensavers or, uh, uh, or, or Twit because, uh, well, they did that on purpose. So you'll feel at home. Um, you will learn, and you will learn in, in a way that makes it very effective. If you look at the course library, you'll see they've got courses uh, for a broad, broad variety of industry certs, the CompTIA, the Microsoft, Cisco. They just started doing the security certs, the ISC squared stuff, and they've got a very good trainer on the uh, ISC squared stuff, Adam Gordon, including SSCP and CISSP. They add new courses every single week. Um, and when you go to a course, I'll just I'll take as an example Microsoft's MTA OS Fundamentals course. When you view the course, you can actually see the questions... And the answers, the chapters that you would have to study in the test. So you can literally study to the test. Say, uh, I'm a little weak on this stuff. Well, no problem. You can you can get right, to, drill right down to the stuff you need. Plus, it's just fun. You can watch it on your Roku. You can watch it on your tablet, your computer. You can even download, if you sign up for a year subscription, which is a, the, probably the most affordable way to do it, you can download full episodes and audio-only MP3s. You could be studying all the time. And I think this is the best way to, to learn. It's certainly a lot more affordable than going to a school to do it, even than buying the training materials. It's, uh, and because it's fun and it's on all the time, you're going to learn almost without knowing it. One low monthly price gives you access to everything. Updates come out daily. And normally that's $57 a month, $570 for a whole year. But because you are listening to security now and because ITPro.TV really cares about getting you the right training for your career, they're going to offer you 30% off, not just for the first month, the first year, but for the lifetime of your subscription if you use the offer code SN30, SN30 for 30% off. Visit itpro.tv slash security now. Watch the sample content. It's well, you'll see it's well produced. It's entertaining. You can interact with hosts via live chat. Uh, these guys have lots of years experience in e-learning. And I, and I just think the world of them. You also, by the way, with your subscription, get free measure up practice exams. That's a $79 value. So you can see if you're ready to take the real thing. And you may say, well, you know, I don't have Windows Server. I don't have the set. They have a virtual machine lab. A complete sandbox. This is so awesome. They showed me. You could set up a network. You can have servers. You can have clients. You set the whole network up. And then you can get hands-on practice, hands-on learning 
on your on your own system, in effect, with their virtual uh, machine. I just think these guys have nailed it, and no wonder they're growing like Topsy. They really they've done very well, and I'm really happy and proud of them. Itpro.tv slash security now, and remember that offer code if you decide to buy SN30, SN30. Steve Gibson, Leo Laporte, Security Now, Revocation Part 2. So, um, one of the things that I want to be clear on, or I want to cover that I really haven't, is why this is hard to do. Why why the whole certificate trust issue is difficult. It's very easy from sort of the ivory tower to say, oh, well, you have a certificate authority and they have a self-signed certificate that they guard and they signed an intermediate certificate, which is the one that they use. And then you have end certificates that are signed by that certificate and now you have a chain of trust. Turns out, while that's true, that misses the really amazingly messy reality of, of what it takes to do this. And one of the things that, that has been made more clear to me in the last three weeks that I've spent digging around in this is just exactly how much no one wants to do this yet everyone has to. And, and I had to answer for myself the question, why doesn't Android? Because Android has none of this, none. Android does no certificate trust checking at all. It's just not in there. It's not in Linux, which is why it's not an Android. Linux falls back on OpenSSL, which does have all of this stuff in it, but the applications that use OpenSSL bring OpenSSL along with them, and so they get this trust chain checking. Android doesn't have it. Um, Similarly, Firefox has always done its own trust chain checking through its, famously, its NSS the Netscape security suite, uh, and it's named, known by other names. I've seen it called other names, um, which provides that. And then they moved to a different package, which was translated from Java into C, and that's sort of a mess. And they're just now in the process of coming up with something that they call Mozilla colon colon PKIX, which is the, their their rewrite of this library that they're, I think it's slated for version 20 or sorry, 31. Um, and it's in the nightlies now, if you turn it on and it's causing some trouble, but they're, they're working it out. So my point is that, that this is, it, it, this is a big deal. And we've never talked before in all of our discussions about what a big deal it is. And, and talking about why, the support for it is so spotty won't make any sense unless we understand why no one wants to do it. I mean, why it's a mess. So the, so what's happened is then this isn't like a surprise to anyone who's been following these sorts of things is the very first 
specification. This is the so-called X.509 spec, which is the, the standard for certificates. It the, the designers created something that they thought would be sufficient. And then needs changed and grew and evolved. And so things were glued on to that original spec. It was extended in various ways. And hackers found attacks against it that the original designers hadn't foreseen. So the original design wasn't all that it could have been. So that had to get patched up in order to defend against hacks. Then, And so that's sort of been the history over several decades. We have basically something that the people who are really in the know would just love to flush. I mean, just love to, they hate it. And they just like to scrap it and start over because as as so often the case, we have a feeling now that we know how to do it right. Um, it's not clear that we that we wouldn't just end up with the same, but what we have, unfortunately, can't be scrapped because it's the entire basis of the Internet's current public key infrastructure used for signing code, for signing drivers, for signing web servers, for, you know, verifying and validating all of this. This is a massive infrastructure that that can't be changed. So, so part of it is we need – we've evolved this over decades um, and we've extended it in – fits and starts. We still need backwards compatibility with everything that's come before because there's a whole bunch of legacy stuff running that that's you know we can't break those things and 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 we're still wanting it to do more. We're asking, you know, because it's the only it's the only game in town when a new need comes along, it's oh look, we can well just like I'm talking about. We're talking about like OCSP must staple. It's like, where should we put that? Oh, let's put that in the certificate. Let's add one more thing to it. And then people say, yeah, but that only protects the end cert. It doesn't protect all the certificates in the chain. And we really need that too. So so after the the single the single extension is created, then it's like, oh yeah, we didn't think about that. Uh, okay. And so now we gotta fix that too. So that's really you know, the, the the where the rubber meets the road is very different from sort of the ivory tower description of of how this works. Also, remember that in terms of the mechanics, we have a chain which is from the root out to the end certificate, and which is to say that that the root signs the intermediate certificate which signs the end certificate in the case of a three cert chain the linkages are by the issuer name the issuer of the certificate their name um will be the subject name of the certificate that signed this one the, but there's no pointer to it that is we need to find it. We need to look it up. Um, and similarly, it will be signed by a certificate whose issuer name is in it. And then we need to find the issuer's named certificate 
which will have the subject name. The point is the chain is actually going in the reverse direction from the from what when when we are at an end certificate, we need to search against the chain direction, which means every link we have to search a you know our 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 database essentially of of certificates. Also, there are there's there is the subject name issuer name linkage. There's also something called the subject key identifier and authority key identifier, which are the same things, but they're they're hashes rather than human readable names. Um, we decided at some point, oh, that's better because what about name collisions, which can be a problem. So the other thing that this means is if you are starting in a certificate and you're searching for certificates that match the signer and so on, you may not have only one answer. You could have multiple certificates which match. And so you don't have a single path. You could have multiple paths. And and in the mature logic which has been worked out for this, in something, there's something called certificate validation path resolution where, I mean, which is like a thing where, I mean, it, it's like a whole job just resolving the paths, the mul- the multiple possible paths back to a certificate you trust. And in doing this, you need to verify that the the public key algorithm and the parameters of each certificate are checked and valid. Because remember, this is this is a classic you, you, classic case of weakest link in the chain, literally a chain. And links. And bad guys will pry themselves in and figure out how to take advantage of any mistake made anywhere in any of this. So we have overly complicated, overloaded technology carrying age and evolution and backward compatibility, trying to do, trying to be everything for everyone that also has to be absolutely perfect or any weakness will get found. We also have to check every certificate to make sure it hasn't been revoked. We need to know the current the date and time and make sure that it ha- that it is valid now and isn't it, that it is it the, the the time is between the issued date and the expired date, so it's neither too early or too late for us to trust this certificate. Um there are there are other checks also because certificates have purposes. For example, some could be for authenticating a server, some for authenticating a client, some for securing email, some for signing code, some for time stamping, and combinations of any of those. So at every stage, we need to look at with the, the, the so-called key usage, usage extension to make sure that the certificate states that it's valid and remember that since this is a chain then we have to make sure that the things it's valid for it it covers all the other validity out to the end of the chain as 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 we move back so um th- then there's like path links length extensions we talked about that i remember once where 
a, a certificate is able to assert that from this point forward, you can only have one additional certificate. You cannot have two. That 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 helps to prevent a some sort of a uh, of an exploit where you get a certificate mistakenly able to sign others. That has happened. And so if you issued a certificate that was supposed to be an end certificate, but the flag was set saying that that I can sign certificates, suddenly you've given somebody a certificate that essentially makes them a certificate authority, a trusted CA, because it's signed by someone that's trusted. So again, the so-called path length extension says from here only allow exactly one additional certificate in the path from this point. So, the, so my point is that all of these things are there for a reason. They all impose constraints on the process in terms of length of the chain, the way we're going to chain, what what you know the 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 the, the validity, the revocation, the the permissions allowed, and the nature of the trust chain is that you that every stage of the chain may restrict the the rights further so you have to make sure that the rights you're wanting at the end of the chain are supported by every stage back and even then you know you don't you don't guaranteed to have a single chain you could very easily have more than two or more 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 than one two or three and a couple of them may not be valid. So you can, so the moment you find one chain which is not valid that for some reason that doesn't mean you need to fail the entire test. It just means you got to make sure there isn't a you're not able to somehow build a different chain which is valid. So it is unfortunately as just as a consequence of the way the technology has evolved, how much we're asking it to do and how many exploits we, we've had to work against, it is incredibly difficult to decide just that, to, to answer the simple question, can I trust this certificate at this moment in time for this purpose? I mean, that's the question we're wanting to answer. And boy, is it not easy. So that, that actually is why it isn't in Android today. Um, it turns out that the 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 Android's Java interface for these functions doesn't even offer the, the the features. It just isn't there. So so for what it's worth, the only browser which bothers and is able to check revocation in Android is Firefox. Chrome can't, and and in fact, even when Chrome had hardwired the revocation of GRC's revoked.grc.com site immediately across the industry. Um, no one could get to the revoked site in Chrome, not because Chrome's revocation worked, but because they pushed out an update <laughs> to their private list. But even on Android, it couldn't block it yeah. because Android won't even give its client applications the 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 access to the to the end certificate that the website is using so i mean it's it's very broken we'll we'll come to like at the end of this do we care because you know maybe we don't but for what it's worth 
because Firefox has always provided these features. They're the only ones who provide them on the Android platform today. iOS is only a little bit better. Um, iOS checks revocation only for EV certificates. Now, clearly Apple has the technology to do this because if they're doing it for any certificates, they could do them for all. So this is a trade-off that Apple has deliberately made for overhead. I've read many times in the last three weeks that this is not being done for mobile because of the overhead it represents. I really question that. That may have been true five years ago. I doubt that it's true today. At the same time, I did see tweets from people who turned on hard fail option in Firefox that we talked about last week, turned on that second um, revocation test. And most people have found that it worked without trouble. But we, I've, of all people, it turns out that Google sometimes fails the um, online certificate status protocol query that is being made by browsers. So, again, this may just be that Google doesn't think OCSP has any value, so they're not putting any time behind it. But largely, it's been successful. So, 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 so there's I, – I, I'm not sure that I buy this notion that there is, in, in today's world, still this trade-off. Um, and iOS could probably add this. At the same time, as we wrapped up last week saying – as soon as servers begin providing the OCSP status with the certificate, that is, have a certificate that's good for several years and a fresh assertion, no more than a day old, from the certificate's authority saying, yes, it's still good, when that's provided at once, then I think a lot of this is going to get fixed. We'll, we'll essentially be, be solving this problem of of there being any overhead associated with making sure that certificates have not already been revoked. Right now, the the mobile platforms are saying, oh, no, no, we can't do that. You know, then iOS is saying, well, okay, we will do it for EV certs. And one other reason is that part of the extended validation requirement is that OCSP be provided by the certificate authority. It's not the case that all certificate authorities have to provide the real-time online certificate status protocol. They could just be providing CRL sets. But if you're going to be if you're going to be creating and signing EV certs, you have to provide OCSP. So that may have also factored into Apple's logic in deciding, okay, on iOS, on you know iPhone and iPad, we will perform revocation checking for EV. Android doesn't even do that. So Windows and Mac and Linux are um, variations on that. The good news is that after IE7, revocation checking is on by default. I think it's seven, um, might be eight, but it is on now by default. So IE and Firefox and Safari all have revocation checking on by default. Only Chrome 
has it disabled by default. In the case of Firefox, it's got its own library. So it's cross-platform. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I've ended up coming away very bullish about Firefox. The fact that they're able to turn on hard fail and succeed with that today demonstrates that they've got their code working and that they are absolutely ready to respond to the OCSP must fail initiative as soon as it happens in a in a response header from the server where the server can say I am offering stapling do not proceed without it and eventually in the certificate as soon as we <laughs> there's again as i was saying another another enhancement to our certificate system as soon as that's present then the the certificate will assert that must be provided so so firefox is is really ready to make that move and will probably be able to do so quickly it turns out that windows has a little known option since IE7 and it's in window it's in XP which can be turned on to also enforce certificate to uh, enforce revocation checking um, and on my page there's a you know uh, under the the certificate revocation site I now have a number of pages there is one um, to that talks about browsers and OSs so anybody who wants to experiment with this uh, I've got the links they're just a, a, a simple registry entry that turns that on. It is disabled by default, and it's, you know, deeply buried down in the registry. So uh, they didn't make it accessible at this point. But again, the fact that it can be turned on and it doesn't break anything demonstrates that Windows also is, is like, ready to go when that is is enforced. Unfortunately, I've heard from developers who have worked with the Mac and Leo, your own experience and the experience of other listeners has been that requiring certificate revocation breaks all kinds of things yeah, in the Mac. It's kind of unpredictable so it's, too. It's like weird. It's like, oh. yeah, unfortunately it's just not ready. So I'm hoping that, you know, that someone in Apple is seeing the writing on the wall that, that, you know, this is where the industry is going and we'll be able to figure this. Um, it was described to me as a race condition of some sort in the Mac where they just, you know, need to need, need to get it fixed right now. They're, it doesn't have any attention. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, this whole issue uh, will get additional attention. And finally, the one thing, Okay, so I guess the, the, the point I wanted to make was, where is this being done? Uh, we talked about what a nightmare it is to do it. Um, there are several libraries that have this. It is in OpenSSL. And, and if the Chrome guys end up deciding that they need to carry their own, then... It will probably be. They'll probably look at OpenSSL. I heard. I, I in some dialogue with one of them, uh, I, I was told that while yes, it's you know OpenSSL has its problems, it's still better than everything else. So that that's that's the feeling there. And for example, if Android doesn't bring it, then if Chrome wants revocation, they're going to have to provide their own, which means you're going to have to have a mature library that is able to untangle this nest of certificate chain in the way that NSS does. 
Um, Mozilla is working, is, is in the process, as I mentioned, of bringing a new library, the, this PKIX library online. And it's, it's in the nightly, it's available in the nightly builds. Maybe it's enabled by default in the nightlies. I'm not sure where the status is because it does change from version to version. Um, so Firefox has its own. Chrome currently, it seems to be a hybrid. I believe it, it uses something on Linux um, and it, it may be NSS um, on or some version of of the Netscape security suite on Linux. Um, but then both Windows and the Mac OS do provide this checking. And arguably, it ought to be in the OS. The, the reason it, it makes sense to have it in the OS is then all the apps running, not just a web browser, but other internet apps, you know, once upon a time, it was just email and web browsing and, you know, FTP that were, that were internet clients. Now, and certainly on mobile, we have this whole notion of an internet application. Well, they're all depending upon security, all of those applications. And it, it makes no sense for them to redundantly each bring this this nasty library along, which requires a team just to just to support this one function because it's such a, a mess. It makes much more sense for the operating system to provide those services. Windows does, and and actually Windows is very good and robust. A so-called crypto API in 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 Windows is there. It's serving their servers and the the client platforms. Um, the Mac has it too, although there's got they have a little work to do on the on the the revocation side. Um, iOS has it for EV, and I think they're just not bothering to do more because they don't have to. Um, and Linux has none at all. It's not in Linux because again, you ha- really have to have a reason to need it, and no one's just ever needed it in Linux because the various the the, the few apps. On Linux, on the Linux platform, it not being mobile, um, uh, bring their own in the form of t- typically open SSL. So, the one thing we haven't talked about, which is really interesting, is the way DNS can factor into this. Because think about two things. First is one of the great weaknesses of the of the PKI system where we've got hundreds of certificate authorities that our operating system or browser, depending upon where that testing is being done, where that, that trust is being checked, hundreds of certificate authorities, any of whom can create a certificate for any domain and we and our browsers or operating systems will trust them. My certs come from Digicert. But, you know, and our listeners know that, I know that, but the Hong Kong Post Office could sign a certificate for www.grc.com and all the browsers that trust the certificate signed by the Hong Kong Post Office would trust that even though it's absolutely not legitimate. But imagine if DNS was used 
to identify GRC's certificate authority, then that solves one, that eliminates a major category of potential problems. And and these are problems we've seen before. We've seen governmental agencies signing certs and using them for spoofing uh, over in the Middle East and, you know, years past. And of course, one wonders what our dear old NSA is doing if they don't have a, a captive CA or just tell a CA that, you know, they want a cert signed for the following domain. Um, if, DN, if DNS was used to publish the name of the valid signers for that domain certificates, that's a huge win. And then you can go one step further. The... And and by the way, there's something called a CAA record that is that. It's called the Certificate Authority Authorization. One way of using it is, as I just said, for a browser to verify by doing a DNS query, get the valid signer of the cert, and then check to the actual cert it's given to see if that is the signer. That's one way of using it. The way it's been it's been presented is to prevent a a random employee in a company from getting an unauthorized certificate from some different certificate authority. So the idea is the certificate authority is supposed to check the domain for a CAA record, a certificate authority authorization, to see whether they are the authorized signer for that domain certificates and refuse to sign a certificate for which they're not authorized. Now, of course, a bad CA will will not do that. They'll if they're if they know they're deliberately minting a bogus certificate, then they're not going to check that. But but you know the idea was that this would be a voluntary process that a certificate authority could use to prevent themselves from being spoofed by an employee of an organization not authorized to to get certificates from them. So that's the CAA record. There's also one called TLSA. That's used to associate a, an SSL or a TLS server certificate or public key, which are essentially anonymous, uh, synonymous, with the domain name where the record is found. That is where this TLSA record is found in order to form a, a TLSA certificate association. The idea being that, for example... I've got a certificate that that GRC is issuing. I take the the public key of that certificate and publish it in a TLSA DNS record. So I am saying that this is GRC's public key. Well, what that prevents is is anyone else using a a different certificate for GRC. Remember, there's, there's absolutely no way to to get the same um, public key because they have no way of knowing what our private key is. That's locked up and secret and never leaves the server. So there's no way for them to use the same 
public key as GRC without knowing the private key, which they can't know. So any certificate that was masquerading as a GRC cert would have to have a different public key. And if this was published in DNS, it can't, it, there's, there's, you would, there's, there's no way that anyone would trust that different key. So to do this, though, we need DNS sec. We need DNS security. So, so this is all called Dane, D-A-N-E, DNS-based authentication of named entities. And it's just another reason why the, the gradual movement of DNS sec, DNS security, um, as you know, we're sort of just, these things just move slowly because this is a big infrastructure and we need new versions of, of servers and clients and all the, 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 the middle machines. We need to make sure we don't break things and we need to make sure that the specifications work. So it, it, it is a slow movement, but we're getting there. And when we have non-spoofable, non-forgeable DNS records, then that's really powerful. We've talked about all the obvious uses, just you know, just being, um, being able to be much more sure that we don't have a spoofed IP address when, when we're going to a site. That will be valuable. But then we can actually use DNS as an internet scale secure database and put all kinds of things in it uh, in order to enhance security. So lastly... Does revocation checking even matter? Um, we're, we're, you know, we're arguably surviving without it so far. Um, at the same time, anyone who has a certificate that, that they, like, you know, an owner of a certificate, for example, again, I'll use myself. I would, no way would I want a grc.com certificate loose in the world. I mean, just that would, I, I would horrify me if there was such a thing. It's never happened as far as I know. But, you know, if I have ever had a reason to believe it had gotten loose, my God, I would want it revoked. I would want to absolutely foreclose any use of that certificate. The problem is today, I really can't. And the fact is, those 140,000 certificates that were revoked after Heartbleed, the revocation was pointless because it's, it's you know, I mean, then this is where Adam is right in his argument. I'm, my, my, my issue is that he's not helping to move us forward. He's saying it's broken, so we're going to do our own thing called CRL set and they've been promoting it as useful. It's actually not. So my argument is let's fix this. Let's explain that this is not working. I mean, when, when I did this revoked.grc.com site, it generated a huge amount of, of concern because people just assumed it was working. It's not working. And, 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 and I keep hearing from people, oh, there's really no demand for it. Well, you're not going to demand something that you don't know you don't have. If you think you if you, if you think it's working and you think you have it, it's like, well, why would you want it? You've already got it. So Fact you, you and don't. Adam agree on that, that, that revocation doesn't work. Correct. Adam's point, and this is the key, is, is it's not that a it's not that a revoked certificate 
might not be listed in the certificate revocation list. It probably, I mean, it absolutely will be. Certificate authorities are listing certificates in the certificate revocation lists and they're publishing them in the OCSP protocol. Adam's point is, but those can be hacked too. That is, yes, that that they're not secure. So any bad guy who is really wanting to abuse a certificate would not simply set up a spoofed server, but would also arrange to defeat the revocation tests. And, and so my argument is, well, it's possible that an attacker could also defeat the revocation tests, but it's also possible that they may not be able to. That is, the nature of the network may allow them to, to intercept the traffic for a website, but the, the, the traffic from the user to the revocation servers may not be accessible to them. So it's not the case that in all instances, every single safeguard can be subverted. My feeling is that that we know what a what a speed freak Chrome is. I mean, Chrome it, that's what they sell is is that Chrome is faster. One of the tricks is they absolutely don't check revocation because we do need to in order to do revocation, we do need to ask if the certificate we've just received is still good. It may be cached, in which case we, it, it, there's no delay at all. Uh, it may, we may get a quick response, in which case it's negligible. We may be made to wait. Google has said philosophically, we think it's all garbage. We're not going to slow you down for something that could be broken by a, a determined attacker. My concern is, look, in doing that, we're not shining any light on this problem. We're not explaining that something that is potentially valuable to have, we don't have. Because the companies who think their certs may be stolen absolutely want them revoked to, to prevent their services from being spoofed. And so now we're going to see. Basically, we've got this broken. Hopefully, we're clear we're close to getting this thing fixed so that it cannot be so that it won't slow things down and so that it will be re, it'll be robust and the 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 potential for it being subverted by attackers will be eliminated the question is will there be an event which occurs before that happens as a consequence of no one actually bothering to check for revocation. We're, we're doing this lazy check, the so-called soft fail, where if you hear nothing, you assume it's okay. Now, turning this on in Firefox is extremely good. I mean, it, turning it on in Firefox defeats Adam Langley's argument completely. Now, Firefox won't give you the page unless it can affirmatively verify that this certificate is, is not revoked. That's what that does. I've, I've had it on always, and I've never had a problem. It's true that if you're, for example, at Starbucks and you have to log in and you're, you're doing a secure, a, a secure connection to the so-called portal and it won't let you get to the revocation server 
then that's going to be a problem. So you turn it off, you log in, and you turn it back on again. Um, or if you're at home and your machine doesn't roam to Starbucks, turn it on. People have had it on now for weeks, and there have been a couple problems of you, with, with using Google, um, but most people are reporting they're not having a problem. So for me here, I've got both checkboxes on in Firefox, and, you know, because now I have actual non-spoofable hard-fail revocation, which is working. Unfortunately, you could you can do it. Well, you can do that on Firefox on the Mac. You cannot do that with Safari because to get that you need to turn it on in the keychain, and that part is broken in in Mac at the moment. Hope well, they're going to have to get it fixed because they won't be able to support the OCSP must staple, and which is essentially hard fail unless they get that working. So um, I'm presuming that they will. So you and Adam so, agree also that stapling is the solution. Yes. Yeah, he, I wouldn't say he agrees. He he just it, it, he's got a, a long history of of sort of inertia. Uh, he has said, "Well, maybe it's the solution." I think it's clear that it's solution, and everybody else understands that it is, and that's what that, that's what they're working towards. This guy's well, who a software engineer at Google? What is he? Adam? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he, he's been running the direct... He's been steering Chrome now for years. He's got... He's got... Um, uh, at Imperial Violet is his blog. Yeah, yeah that's uh, where I've got, read his posts. Yeah, he, he, I mean... He's, he's a little a, snarky he's a, about you. I mean, I... I oh, yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you think it, that, uh, he's, that he fairly addresses the issue? I mean, he, his main point, his most recent point uh, uh, post is that these, the revocation files would just be too big. Well, which is making my point. I, I did a page where I went through and looked at all the available data. And, and, and so he's, he's trying to demonstrate that their system can't work. That is, the CRL list <laughs> right. can't work. And it's, it's like, big. yeah, I know. Yeah. Exactly. And, and my point was that, and in fact, it, it, it was uh, Larry Seltzer in, in ZDNet did a did a column that said Google does certificate revocation better, and it's like oh Larry and I wrote to Larry I've known him forever and you know you, as, as you know he's been in the business forever, and I and I said what you know it, it's completely broken, um, and and he sent something back that was sort of non-responsive and so I thought well okay but he quoted a Google spokesperson saying oh yeah. When we're notified that a certificate is bad, we add it to the list and users are protected. And it's like, well, that's a lie. I mean, it's an absolute lie. And so I created a page uh, which goes through and demonstrates that based on the, num the size of the CRL set, which is what Google uses, that's the only revocation they use, they, they, can, they can maybe list 1% of the internet's certificates, and they do list them from exactly 53 certificate authorities, yet Windows trusts 353. So they've selected CAs, and any other certificate authority, they, they blanket trust, because they, they're not looking at the, 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 the CRL lists from any of those. So they've, they've, they've basically chosen some little subset um, strong on CA certificates and EV certificates so that they're they're giving them priority but that's a tiny minority of the certificates on on the internet 
And well, I guess Adam's it, saying though, but if we get the most important ones, that's sufficient. Um, right. Well, that's what he's saying, and that isn't sufficient because, for example, 140,000 were just revoked by Global Sign, and they have none of Global Sign's right. certificates. Zero. But that's not one of the certificate authorities in the list. Certificates and, are frequently and, revoked for re other reasons besides security, right? I mean, it's... Well, no. 44% of them are... That's another thing he says that is not accurate. 44% are revoked because of key compromise. The majority reason is key compromise. I show a pie chart over on the OCSP uh, must-staple page uh, from either WebSense or um, the the net uh, can't think of their name. Net monitoring guys. Anyway, I'm blanking. But uh, but no, it's a key compromise is 44 percent of all revocations, and all 140 thousand that were revoked after Heartbleed were due to right. a concern over key compromise. None of which are are handled by none, none of which are seen by Chrome. So his position is uh, it's, and I don't want to misparaphrase you, Adam, but his position sounds like. It's too hard to do well, so we'll do the best we can, but you can't ask for any more than that. And yet you're saying, oh, but Firefox Tell does do it properly. It doesn't get bogged down. It isn't giant. They're not giant lists. We're down. So you, so Correct. are you saying at this point use Firefox? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't care. I mean, that's the other thing. I mean, we're... You know, right now, it's safe not to care, but you're waiting for the big event that might make it... Well, it's, it's safe until it's not. Right. It's safe until someone <laughs> right. takes advantage of this. The whole industry is, you know, knows this is a problem. I just want it us to be honest. I just want to say, look, it's, it is broken. Chrome is providing no protection. They, I mean, and, and here's my point. When I did revoked.grc.com, their system didn't pick it up. They added it to the header. They put it in the header. <laughs> that really of, is of kind of a CR. snotty thing to do. Well, we have to. <laughs> we'll we'll show Steve. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it's not obviously that doesn't scale either. No, exactly. <laughs> there, there are you can hand enter each of them. There, there were three certificates there. Now there are five yeah. because they added they added CloudflareChallenge.com because that was known to have been revoked, and so it would have they, they'd have egg on their face if they didn't show it revoked. And they added revoked.grc.com wow. mine. Well, you, you, so you they went from from three proud. to five. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, so that's the story. Yeah. So uh, Firefox is the safest. Because it brings its stuff along, it's it runs on all platforms. You can and uh, turn on hard fail and see how you feel. If it's if it's, I mean, you get absolute security if you turn that on. It can false positive. Sometimes just trying again, it'll work, uh, which is what what the people that were having problems with Google found. Or you cannot care. I, I wouldn't. I'm not arguing that. Everyone has to care because, I mean, Android has no protection at all. So maybe someone's going to take advantage of that. Maybe not. Would um, we know? But, I mean, would it be like such? We wouldn't because you could have a spear phishing attack that wouldn't be a widespread attack. See, that's, just take advantage that's, of just, that's exactly it. The, the smart guy is not going to make a big splash because then Adam will immediately put that cert be in, in the, the header. CRL <laughs> Welcome to the yes. header. <laughs> Welcome to the header. Um, and so, so if you're so, smart and you want to, let's say, attack a bank, it's quietly, yep. you know, do it. And uh, you, 
Exactly. You you arrange to get their key and you arrange to divert tra- their traffic to your spoofed server and you drain people's money very quietly right. and get as much as you can before the jig is up. And 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 if we and now and if that were a revoked certificate, then and the browser was checking, you wouldn't be able they, they wouldn't be able to spoof the site. But you know, but as not. it is now, it, it it is it's it's completely spoofable. When actually no one is checking. Yeah. Well, Adam, instead of resorting to uh, a snotty ad hominem snark, maybe you want to address this in a more appropriate way. And I know they're going to. Um, I mean, there are guys at Google who get it. There are guys who who feel that you know that OCSP must staple is the direction they need to go in. Um, I sort of think you know. From the thousand yards, I think Google tried to launch their own. They tried to go their own way. Um, I've had some conversations with people in this certificate authority industry who haven't been happy with what Chrome has done. Their original, when when they rolled this out, they they wanted the CAs to submit to them some carefully curated CRLs that they would then amalgamate and and use for Chrome. And the certificate authority community just blew them off. They said, no, you know, we're doing what we're doing. And so I actually think that the, the, the CRL set is a failed solution to, to the recognition that the current system has problems. But it's the wrong solution, and we're moving toward the right solution. Well, that's a great argument and a great conversation, and uh, let's move towards the right solution and not yeah. just say well, hand waving it's not possible. Well, uh, and also saying oh don't worry we're you're protected. It's going to be fine. That's that's wrong too. We've so got that, an imaginary that was, process that will protect you <laughs> forever. Exactly. Don't worry about it. <laughs> don't worry. It's not worse. Uh, I'm going to start using Firefox. I was I'm a big Chrome advocate, but uh, I think this is a good reason to start using Firefox and I think everybody who listens to this show should start using Firefox. Firefox 30 is quite nice actually. Actually, they've really done a beautiful yeah. job with it. Yeah. Yeah. And we've been critical of Firefox in the past. It's not like uh, we play favorites here. Yeah, One thing we I'm, all agree I'm, on, don't use Internet Explorer. <laughs> yeah. Steve does his show every uh, Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 2000 UTC on twit.tv. You can watch live or you can watch after the fact on-demand audio and video, always available. You've got 16 kilobit versions of the audio for the bandwidth impaired uh, from Steve's site, grc.com, along with full transcriptions, which actually is really great if you're having a hard time following it. You just read along as Steve talks. We have uh, higher quality audio and full quality video. So you could stare at Steve waving his hands. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to, but you can. And, and the blinky lights behind me. The blinking lights uh, at twit.tv slash SN for security. Now, do visit grc.com for Spinrite, the world's best hard drive and maintenance utility, maintenance and recovery utility, and, uh, of course, all the great free stuff Steve offers all the time. And, f- and to follow next along week? with Squirrel. What are you going to do next week? Next week, we got a Q&A. All so right. submit your questions, grc.com slash feedback. Um, I'll go through it, and we'll have a great Q&A episode. And uh, if uh, if all stays well, the week after, we'll talk about the cool challenge of robustly harvesting entropy. Ooh. I, that sounds really fun. By the way, Firefox mm-hmm. 29, not 30. 29, just yeah, 29. All right, Steve, we'll see you next time on Security Now. Thanks, Leo. Security.